0: Good morning. My name is Walt. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. To the man he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree that I commanded, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the fertile land because of you. Though painful toil, will eat from it all the days of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you, even as you eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread and food until you return to the fertile land, since from it you were taken. For soil you are, and to the soil you will return. The Word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dan. And the New Testament reading is found in Philippians 4, 4-7. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord.
1: Hello, my name is Ruth. Um, If you're able and you already are standing, thank you. Um, The gospel reading today is found in Matthew 6, verses 25 and 27, through 27. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seeds or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, Can add a single moment to your life. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, speak to us today. We long to hear your voice. As your kids, we Come here to this place gathered by your spirit in your name in order to listen to you, to hear what it is that you might speak to us today through your living and active word. So please speak. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. And make our hearts fertile soil. They might receive all that you have for us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you. Hello to everyone that's also watching online. We love you. We miss you. Hope that you are doing okay. We are in the 10th week already in our series through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon about Kingdom Discipleship found in Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we've seen a couple of things throughout this sermon so far. First of all, we see that the sermon is drenched with Grace. It's absolutely drenched and dripping with the grace of God. Jesus, and then through the sermon, is declaring that the kingdom of God has broken into the world, that it's come to us, that it's come for us, and invites us in, that the kingdom might continue to work its way into the world through us. There is grace upon grace upon grace in the sermon. But it's also completely disorienting with its demands. There are times that we read Jesus' teachings and go, wait, what? How can you say that? Is that really what this kingdom life looks like? Jesus is presenting to us through the sermon a radically different way of living a radically different way of being human that oftentimes pushes against the ways that we've learned to live in the world. We experienced that probably in a really uh, poignant way last week as we looked at Jesus's challenging instructions on wealth and possessions, as we heard Jesus telling us to prioritize the economy of the kingdom through sacrificial generosity. We hear Jesus saying, no one can serve both God and wealth. And we're like, ugh. When we hear those kinds of words, when we hear some of Jesus' teachings, especially maybe when Jesus starts talking about our relationships or talking about our stuff, we have a visceral reaction. We're like, wait a minute. We find ourselves maybe like the rich young ruler who hears Jesus' teachings and we just find ourselves sad and going, I Jesus, I can't do this, and he walks away. Or maybe we find ourselves more often like the disciples who, when the woman came and gave an extravagant gift of generosity to Jesus, they just became angry. And not angry at the woman, angry with Jesus. Angry with the way that Jesus received that generosity. Or maybe, for most of us, we hear Jesus' words and immediately what comes up in us is some sort of disbelief. It's like, certainly Jesus didn't mean that. He didn't mean it that way. That must be a translation error. Something must have been lost somewhere between the first century and now. So we dismiss what Jesus says or we diminish it in some way to distance it from our everyday lives, our Monday through Friday lives in particular. But beneath all of those reactions, there's usually some level of anxiety, particularly when we're talking about wealth and possessions, there's some level of anxiety about our future. That we hear Jesus' teachings about open-handed sacrificial generosity and immediately think, okay, if we live this way, will there be enough for us for tomorrow? Will there be enough for me Will there be enough for my parents that I have to care for? Will there be enough for my kids so that they don't have to care for me? Will there be enough for the crisis that might be around the corner? Will there be enough if this happens or this happens or this happens? If we live this way, Jesus, is that going to put us in some way at risk? How are we going to maneuver through this? Whenever I hear Jesus' words around finances, around giving, around generosity, around simplicity, I just find a massive amount of resistance. As I read those words, I can feel my body tensing. It's like, Ugh. it's like my back starts to tense up. Even my hands, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to read these words again, Jesus. And, I, and hearing the voice of the Spirit in those conversations, I, I just want to ignore it. Or I want to argue. I found these to be really helpful approaches in my relationship with God. Ignore or argue. Right now, I'm losing every single one of those approaches every time. What I try to ignore comes back around. What I try to argue with, it turns out I don't know better. (laughs) Though I think I do for at least a half a second. But I'm over like 7,864 this week in ignoring and trying to argue with God. The graciousness of Jesus, though, is I think he anticipates this reaction. He anticipates this reaction to his challenge. Immediately after he talks to us about wealth and possessions, he starts talking to us about our worry, about our worry around possessions. He says this, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about what you will wear. Isn't life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Jesus anticipating what's going on inside of us immediately turns the conversation to talking about our worry. But I want to say two things here before we dive into what I think Jesus is talking about here and frame this in a way that I think is really important because sometimes this passage has been weaponized against two particular groups of people. So the first thing I think we need to understand that Jesus is talking about or that Jesus is addressing particular people here. Jesus is addressing particularly disciples with means. He's not telling the poor, the hungry, the naked, and the unhoused, don't worry about it. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is deeply concerned and extremely sensitive to the plight of the poor, to those who are facing incredible difficulties and challenges. Jesus is not going to that group of people, don't worry about it, when they're wondering whether or not they're going to have enough food for their kid for that day. That's not who Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is talking to his disciples who have resources or who have access to resources and who in the midst of their resources or their access are actually tempted to be selfish with the things that God's given to them. They're tempted to hoard it. He's talking to those who could be generous but are choosing not to because of their worry about tomorrow, which is causing them to seek security in their wealth. Rather than living a life of trusting God, they're trying to seek security in building bigger barns and having more and more at their disposal and sharing less and less with those who are in need. The second group of people that oftentimes this gets weaponized against are those that are walking through extreme mental health challenges. Jesus here is addressing ordinary anxiety, okay? He's talking about the anxiety that's common to everyone. The anxiety that comes and goes for each of us throughout the day, but typically doesn't disrupt our lives, It's, of course, not benign anxiety. It can influence how we react to people. It can influence how we relate in the workplace. It can influence how we relate to money and finances and belongings. It can even influence the decisions that we make. But Jesus is not talking about the persistent, pervasive, intense kinds of anxiety that disrupt our lives. Some of us suffer from the kind of anxiety that we can't simply stop. Because it's stopping us. It's keeping us from going about our everyday lives. In those situations, we embrace whatever help that we need, including the help of mental health professionals and at times medicine. If you are walking through a season where your anxiety is stopping you... It's disrupting your life. It's something that's actually making it really difficult for you to relate and to work and to live. Please let us know if you need help finding a counselor, if you need help finding a doctor, if you need help and need to talk to somebody. There is no shame in asking for help. And Jesus here is not talking to those of us that are struggling with that kind of mental health, saying, oh, just don't worry about it. Just stop. That's not who he's talking about here. He's talking about the ordinary, everyday kinds of anxiety that we all face, okay? So if that's you, please come talk to one of us so we can come around side of you as a community and help you find someone that can help walk with you through what it is that you're facing. But Jesus is particularly here talking about the ordinary anxiety that we feel over our basic needs, the worry that we feel about finances, about jobs, about food, about clothing, about shelter, about health, about kids, about braces, about college, about any of those kind of things that come up for us. The worry that increases with every unexpected bill, with every employment transition, with every interest rate hike, with every market drop, with every inflation surge, with every year that we pass an age and we wonder how much longer we're going to be able to work or at some point when our work stops and our resources start to fill thin or every time that we experience loss in life and all of a sudden we find that worry increases Jesus of course here is not telling us not to work he's not telling us not to be wise not to plan not to save not to invest not any of those kinds of things what he's Jesus is particularly concerned about is the worry that makes us greedy that kind of worry that says, oh, actually, I am not going to participate in the inbreaking kingdom of God through sacrificial generosity because I'm just too concerned about tomorrow. He's talking about the kind of worry that leads us to trust our finances rather than our father. That's the kind of worry that he's talking about here. And of course, things were not always this way for us. In the opening chapters of Genesis, we see that the world that we were created and designed to live in was a very good world, Humans were placed in a garden with ever-flowing rivers and fertile soil and abundant food supply. It was like organic, free-range Costco. It's like, just whatever you want to eat, just one tree, don't eat from that one. But the rest of them, just go pick whatever you want and enjoy it. But after our rebellion, the world got turned upside down, including our relationship to the earth. Our relationship to the very source of our basic needs. Genesis 3.17 says this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you will eat from it every day of your life. Our work fundamentally changed. Weeds and thistles will grow for you. Even as you eat the field's plants, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Until you return to the fertile soil, since from it you were taken, you are soil or you are dust. And to soil or dust you return. This is where our Ash Wednesday liturgy comes from. You see like, oh, there's now something different about the world's. And there's a really interesting phrase in here. It says, by the sweat of your face or the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. We normally think that this is another way of Jesus talking about how hard physical labor is. But in the ancient world, this is actually an idiom for anxiety. He's talking about the introduction of anxiety into the world. The kind of worry that makes us sweat which is like the worst kind of sweat. Sweaty, worry, worry, sweat. It's like just awful. It's like this is what he's talking about is that sense is, is there going to be enough for us? Ever since we were expelled from the garden, humanity has lived with dread. We've lived with dread about tomorrow. What will we do if? How will we pay for X? What will happen if this doesn't work out? What will happen if this doesn't change? What will happen if I don't get this job? Even as citizens of one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world, we experience this kind of anxiety. Case in point, the toilet paper crisis of 2020. (laughs) Right? It's like the pandemic hits and what do we do? We run to the grocery stores and buy enough toilet paper for three years. Some of you are still using the toilet paper that you bought from Costco in March of 2020. And you've got another six-month supply left until it is going to be over. We have this kind of dread that comes up for us. It makes us want to hoard pork and beans and whatever else we can fit into our basement. But it wasn't always that way, and it certainly won't always be that way. The picture that we get in the book of Revelation is actually a world without anxiety. A world where that curse is gone. Revelation 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, shining like crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the city's main streets. We have ever-flowing streams again. And on each side of the river is a tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing fruit each month, food year-round for us, coming free of charge. And the leaves are actually for the very healing of the nations and there will be no more, no longer any curse. And that curse includes that ordinary everyday anxiety that we experience as well as all of the other anxieties that we experience in this world as there's healing for us in the new creation. But what do we do now? (laughs) What about in the in between? How do we learn to live a life free of this kind of worry where Jesus is therefore do not worry about those things? What's the path that Jesus sets before us? What really is the way out of our worry? The way out of this that Jesus outlines for us. As we continue in Matthew 6, he says this. He says, don't worry. Instead, look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth so much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the fields grow. They don't wear themselves out with work. They don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do so much more for you, you people of weak faith? The first thing that Jesus tells us to do is to consider creation. Tells us to look at the birds to notice the flowers. Jesus is constantly doing this in his teaching. He's telling us to look around at the world, to look at the world in order to learn something about the God who made it, to look at the world through a particular set of eyes. Though creation is certainly subject to death and decay, it's groaning out for its own redemption, it still reveals, it still speaks. God is still speaking through it if we're willing to go outside, That's step one, (laughs) to slow down, to look, and to learn. We've seen throughout the last several years or even the last decade, so that anxiety in general is on the rise in our society. And research shows that one of the major factors for the increase of anxiety is our reliance on technology, our connection to screens. That we're now in a 24 hour a day news cycle. That we're constantly being bombarded with advertisements that are talking to us about what we don't have. Media that is comparing us to others. Social media that's letting us know everything that's wrong in the world or everything that's wrong with our own lives. And that constant access to screens is making us anxious, it's causing it to increase. It's causing us to think about what's wrong, what's missing, what we don't have, what is broken in some way. And beyond that, technology is virtually eliminating the boundary between our work and every other part of our life. Our work is now always with us. Nonstop emails and texts and lists and notifications. Again, increasing our anxiety and make it making it really difficult for us to be present making it difficult for us to stop, to rest, to Sabbath, to go outside <laughs> and to look at the birds and to notice the flowers. Even if we are outside, typically we have a screen in our pocket and something else going on in our ears that we can't even hear the creek, or the bird or the dog or whatever else is around us. I find for me that when I walk along Cottonwood Creek, when I go in camp outside Buffalo, Wyoming, when I lie in a hammock in my backyard, even when I go golfing, which has its own anxiety sort of producing aspects of things, but even in those moments when I'm able to stop and slow down and go outside and notice my anxiety lessons. This is why even outside of the church, we find over and over and over again, the encouragement to go outside, to be in nature. Why? Because we were made that way and because there's something about nature that can actually speak to us about God. The first step is to consider creation, but the second step, Jesus goes further and says, see the Father. Consider creation in order to see the Father. Don't just be outside in a particular way, but be out, or not be outside in a general way, but in a particular way. To consider creation and see the Father. When you look at the birds, see the Father who feeds them. When you notice the lilies, see the Father who clothes them. When Jesus looked at the world, everywhere he looked, he saw signs of his Father. He saw signs of a good God. He saw God's benevolence. He saw God's providential care for the world. And this does not mean that Jesus is ignorant of natural disasters, that he's ignorant of famines and floods, that he's ignorant of death, that he's turning all of that and just saying, ah, that doesn't exist. No, Jesus is fully aware of all of those things. He's not living in denial. He knows the pain of this place. He knows the pain of this world, but he also knows that there's more to see than that. He sees more. He sees God. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Jesus' good news about the kingdom can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share his view of the world in which we live. To his eyes, this is a God-bathed and God-permeated world. It is a world filled with a glorious reality, where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control. Though he obviously permits some of it for good reason to be for a while otherwise than he wishes. It is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God. Because God is always in it. It is a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. Until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with his presence, the world of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. I want to be fully seized by the world that Jesus sees. To be able to consider creation and see the Father. Because Jesus's call to stop worrying is actually deeply anchored in theology. It's deeply anchored in who he believes that God is. Jesus is saying to us, we don't have to worry because our Father is near. We don't have to worry because our Father knows. We don't have to worry because our Father cares. We don't have to worry because our Father provides Jesus looks at the world and he sees the Father over and over and over again. And then he tells us when you're outside and you begin to reflect and you see the Father, the next thing to do is to redirect the effort. Redirect the effort that you're putting in to worry. Worry takes so much of our energy. And Jesus says instead, desire or seek the idea here is to strive or devote serious attention to, serious effort. Devote serious effort first and foremost to God's kingdom and to God's righteousness. Why? Because all of these things will then be added to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. <laughs> Can anyone say amen? <laughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our worry costs us a significant amount of time and energy, a significant amount of brain and mental space, and it's remarkably futile and incredibly counterproductive. Our worry cannot add a moment to our lives or secure our future in any way. Instead, it actually does the opposite. Anxiety causes stress, and stress shortens our lives. It does the very opposite of what we're hoping it's going to do. Jesus says, no, redirect that effort to God. Jesus tells us to take all of it and to redirect it. Last week, he was telling us to redirect it in simplicity and generosity. But I think the first place that we, we, we redirect it is in prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father who knows what we need. He teaches us to pray to the Father who sees in secrets. Jesus teaches us to pray. To take all of that energy that we put into worry, and he calls it to us to turn it to simple prayer. First Peter says the same thing, throw all your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares for you. Philippians 4 the Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything, but rather Bring up all your requests to God in prayers and petitions along with giving thanks that we find a way to take all of those things that come up to us, every question and concern that we have about tomorrow to actually say, okay, God, I'm really worried right now about my kids. God, I'm really worried about this job. I'm really worried about what it is that's going on here with my parents. I'm really worried about this or that. When we turn it to Him in prayer, we find that the peace of Christ with passes all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, actually guards our hearts and minds in a way that we can't explain. When we take that energy and redevote it, redirect it to God in prayer. As Sarah and the worship team come forward, I'm going to close with this. I said earlier that Jesus' invitation to stop worrying is anchored theologically. It's anchored in his belief about who God is. But there's something that I don't want you to miss this morning. I don't want you to miss how Jesus personalizes his theology. The emphasis of this passage is on you. The emphasis of Jesus' teaching is on each of us. He says, look at the birds. Aren't you more valuable than they? He looks at the flowers and he says, won't God do so much more for you? This is where Jesus' emphasis comes in. His caring compassion for us and our worry. He's not looking at us and saying, oh, just stop that. He's saying, I want you to know the Father who knows you who loves you, who sees you, who's near to you, who cares for you, who knows what you need even before you ask it. his emphasis over and over and over and over again is the theological application to the personal. This God loves you. John Chrysostom, an early church father, said it this way. He says, the force of the emphasis is on You to indicate covertly how great is the value set on your personal existence and the concern that God shows for you in particular. The concern that God shows for you in particular, knowing all of the nuances of your life knowing everything that you're facing, knowing every question that you're asking, knowing every worry that you have about tomorrow, Jesus' particular concern is for you. It's the force of the passage, is in God's personal care. So we could say what we said earlier this way, you don't have to worry because the Father is near to you. You don't have to worry because the Father knows you. You don't have to worry because the Father cares for you. You don't have to worry because the Father provides for you. He sees you, he knows you, he's particularly interested in you deeply invested in your life so as we come to the table my prayer today is as you receive daily bread the daily bread of Christ's sacrifice that you would know even just a little bit more just how much you matter to him that in that place you would find peace For the worry that ails you,
2: this text is particularly tender to me because I've had a lifelong struggle with anxiety, as many of us had. Sometimes it feels just quite ordinary, or even sort of far off, and sometimes completely overwhelming—a huge presence in my life—and. So the table represents to me a relief of that in the sense that I can be honest about it, that I can talk about, talk honestly with God. This week, here are the things that I have done or not done out of my anxieties. And receive not only forgiveness for those things, but also receive the relief of kind of throwing them back to Jesus. And what comes back to me is mercy, is goodness, is truth, is a reminder of grace. So now I have something different to carry with me into the week. I pray that we would all receive that this morning. This is Jesus's table. Thank God. And so um, anyone who believes that Jesus is the true king of the world, is welcome to receive here, no matter what your church background is or your affiliation. If you don't believe as we believe, thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for spending a Sunday morning with us. We're honored you're here. Encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to believe in Jesus, to receive his grace, to follow his teachings, we invite you to join us here as we confess truth about ourselves, as we confess our sin, as we ask for forgiveness, and again, place our trust in him. And during the Lenten season, we've been using some words um, from Psalm 51, the the Psalm of David, uh, to confess some truth about who we are. So you can follow along. The words are on the screen. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. It is my joy, friends, this morning to announce good news, words that are true, not because I'm saying them, but because of what God has done. So would you open your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, and the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you please stand, greet those around you, extend the forgiveness of Jesus to one another by saying, In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. As we come back together, the words for our liturgy will be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It Let's give thanks this morning for freedom from anxiety. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, when we struggle to trust you, your love remained and remains steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful for us on our behalf. On the night that Jesus faced his greatest angst of his earthly life. He knew that he was going to be handed over to suffer greatly. His life was going to end that night. He was celebrating the Passover meal with his friends. And during the meal, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. This is my everything, which has been given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood which is shed for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so, God, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. All of us who are in Christ are part of a priesthood of all believers. So would you stretch out your hands and pray with me a blessing over these elements before we receive them. Oh God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us who are gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ which is redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Jesus and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. We see him face to face and all our fears are put to rest. Amen. I invite the servers to come up now. Friends, these are gifts. These are the gifts of God. They are given for us, the people of God. And I invite you this morning To receive them, remembering that Christ died for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. In just a moment, we'll come forward to receive, beginning in the front of each section. You're going to exit to your left and come forward. There'll be some prepackaged elements available. Um, If you're unable to come forward, um, would you please ask someone around you to bring some elements back to you? If you're not receiving, just go ahead and still come forward just so nobody trips over you in the rows. And then you can just pass by the servers and return to your seat. If you are receiving, uh, please come forward with your hands open like this. There'll be some napkins in the dispensers that you can use. The first server is going to take a gluten-free cracker, dip it in the cup of non-alcoholic wine, and offer it to you with words of life. You can receive it right then and there. You can take it back to your seat and receive it with those that you came with. Um, There's going to be two sections, so just go back and forth between each of the sections. And then after we've received, our servers are going to be offering prayer. If you have anything that you would like someone to pray with you or for you or over you about, please take advantage of that. Let's worship together now as we